You are listening to The Fem Focus, a podcast that seeks to educate and empower, which leads to effective change. I'm your host, Dorian Marie. Welcome back to another episode, y'all. Let's get this thing started with a moment of gratitude. My moment of gratitude for this episode is simply the simple things in life. You know, those things that we often overlook, the things that we don't think are blessings or that we should be thankful for because they're just a part of our everyday routine or things we don't sit down and realize, yo, like this is really something that I shouldn't take for granted. So, yep, the simple things in life. So there are so many simple things that I could think of in name, but I'm thinking of them to myself and I want you to think of the simple things and be grateful for those simple things as well. Now, let's get into this podcast episode. Learn you something. It's really good. Here it is, Coochie Combos with Janelle of The Nurse Note. Janelle of The Nurse Note is a registered nurse with a Master of Public Health. She received her master's degree in public health from the University of Toledo and bachelor's degree in nursing from Capital University in Columbus, Ohio. She holds a certification in STI, HIV counseling and testing. Janelle is also a writer and a speaker who is based in Atlanta, Georgia. She began her career in public health where she educated clients about chronic diseases, HIV, and maternal and child health. She transitioned into nursing, working for one of the best children's hospitals in the country. There, she counseled girls and young women about birth control options, led discussions about sex and safer sex practices, and provided counseling and treatment for sexually transmitted infections. She's even held a speculum or two during a well woman exam. Her story has been featured in Voyage ATL Trailblazer series and Shout Out ATL. Janelle has been fortunate to have collaborated with some great companies and organizations, including The Honeypot, The Body, HPV Hub, Nixit, Ruby Cub, and MedIQ, among many others. Thank you so much. You make me sound so fancy. Thank <laughs> you, you are. You are me. very fancy. If you didn't know, you are. You are very fancy. Now, I'll just tell the listeners just about how I came to know who you are, um, just in general. So back in, that was March, right? I believe it was March. Yes. Yes. It's, it feels like so long ago, but it really wasn't. Um, so back in March, I attended a period party here in Atlanta, Georgia, and Janelle was one of the panelists. And I just loved her energy, loved everything that she stood for. And I love to see uh, women in the medical field just taking a specific interest in women's health. So I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, followed you right <laughs> on the spot and just kind of just just love all of the information and the education that you put out. It is so necessary and so needed. So thank you for for everything that you do. Thank you. I'm I'm glad, you know, people are actually very open and receptive to the information I put out. You know, sometimes it can be a little awkward in terms of telling people what I do, but I have found my people and they enjoy what I do. So thank you for having me on your podcast. Yes, thank you. I'm so excited. We're we're excited about this. You know, you have a you have a segment on your page and on your your for your brand called Coochie Convos. So we'll kind of bring Coochie Convos <laughs> over to the Fem Focus podcast. And I'm excited to get talking today. Now, what I want to first start off with is kind of your career path and everything. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. So master's in public health, how did that transition into nursing? Because that's usually not the normal path. Correct. You're absolutely correct. So I did things a little backwards. I worked at the in the state of Ohio for their um, public health department for it was about seven years. So I did a lot of stuff focused on policy and procedures and a lot of um, education for the masses. The last position I had, I was actually working in women's, I'm sorry, um, maternal and child health. So I got to see a kind of close and upfront. Um, we did a lot of uh, initiatives in the community, and I just, 
I miss working with people. You know, when you work at a higher level, like the government agency at the state level, um, you kind of miss the day-to-day interactions with individuals. So I took it upon myself because I'm a constant learner, which is, is a good thing and a bad thing. And I decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to go back to school um, to become a nurse. And specifically for, for um, I wanted to become a public health nurse because I just missed, I wanted to work in the field where I think people were most, where it was most needed. Now, what made you think that it was, what was it specifically that you saw that you knew of that it was most needed? A lot of the initiatives that we were doing at the time um, revolved around maternal maternal and child health. So um, African-American women, they have the highest rates of uh, uh, maternal health issues right. and as well as child, child deaths. So I just thought that there was more education needed on that front. And I think it was a lot of the nurses and the people that were doing the work didn't really look like us. So um, and I found that even with my small interactions with individuals and people at the, the um, community level, that they were just open and receptive because I kind of looked like them. So they were more willing to take the information from me because I don't know, I guess I looked like them. Right. Um, so I just I loved it. And I just figured like this is something that I wanted to do for the rest of my career. And that's something we can say is true, too. When we do go to the doctors, are we, you know, look for information about our health? We often do want people that look like us to give us the information because we we automatically assume they have our best interests or we we hope that they do. Right. 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 And so, you know, that's something. Yeah, that's definitely important. And so that led to what what age was this? Because I I kind (laughs) of. I, I want to get into that because I think it's, it's phenomenal. It's amazing. And, and we can pivot and switch at any point in time in life to fulfill our purpose or, you know, what it is we feel we're put on this earth to do. So, so talk to us about that. Yes. This, I had to be in my late, gosh, was I, I might've been in my early thirties. I might've decided like in my early thirties, I had a great career in public health and, you know, I was at the manager level and, you know, when you work at a state entity, you know, you can work there for life and Mm -hmm. I didn't have any issues and everybody loved me, but I just, I didn't feel fulfilled. So I just decided I'm going to apply to nursing school. And if I get in, it it was just meant to be. So Mm -hmm. my transition into nursing was a little bit different. You know, most individuals, they start out going for the four years to become a registered nurse. Mm -hmm. I, because I already had a master's in public health, I didn't want to, I didn't want to spend my time doing four years. So I was like, you know what, the quickest way for me to do it um, at that time was to do an associate's degree. So a two-year program, um, it was like a hybrid online learning in-person classes for my associate's degree in nursing. Like now we have, there are a lot of um, online programs where you can do accelerated uh, bachelors of nursing programs right. in two years, but they didn't have that when I started. So I just decided to go to the community college and mm-hmm. knock my two years out. And the good thing about it is like I had a really strong, a big and a strong background in the sciences already. So I was able to kind of bypass a lot of the classes that I would normally have to take if I was like a student just starting out. Right. And that's a lot of things. I used to work in a community college setting. It was my first introduction into working into higher ed. And I was just amazed at how a lot of folks don't know that you can go to a community college and get those two years of nursing knocked out as opposed to going to a traditional four-year university and, you know, just costs and different things of that nature. Yes. Yes. I I had a wonderful experience. It was great. Um, And, you know, it was, it was the quickest route for me. So I, you know, I tell people, if you don't want to spend a whole bunch of money and you, you know, you're willing to put in the time, think about a community college. 
And so you went there, you, you know, you passed the, you passed the test, you got in and everything like that. Was there any point in your career where you were like, okay, what am I doing? Like I want to do yes. this, but what am I doing? <laughs> of, of course, because I was still working full time as like, I was working full time and going to school full time. So, you know, I was like, I would go to work all day and then, you know, have to come home and still study and discussion right. boards and posts. And I still had to do clinicals. So there were days, you know, towards the end of my nursing school where, you know, I had to take days off from work. So I could be able to go do these clinicals at 645 in the morning and be there for 12 hours. I was like, I don't really need to, I have a, a career. What am I doing? But, <laughs> you know, when you're with a good group of people, because everybody in my, in my cohort were people who had already had an established career doing something, right? So we were all older students. So when you have that group of people with you and pushing you along, it, it makes your journey a little bit more bearable. Right, exactly. And so through your matriculation, through your your nursing program and things of that nature, what specifically, like I know you talked about like, yes, you know, um, mortality rates and, and, and different things of that nature with black women and infants. But was there anything else specifically that kind of led you to want to focus on women's health, specifically with the vagina? When I did my clinical rotations, I really enjoyed, you know, you do one unit of mother and uh, baby. I really enjoyed that uh, clinical rotation, and I I was kind of different because I knew going into nursing school that I did not want to work in a hospital. Like I just had that mind frame. Like I didn't want to work in a hospital, but I knew this was what I needed to get to my public health, ultimately my public health nursing goal. So um, I got to do the uh, women's health unit and then the maternal uh, women and baby unit as well. So those are the ones I enjoyed. And I, you know, once you get into the clinicals, you figure out real quick, either what you like or what you don't like. And I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't like med surge, mm -hmm. you know, no, no knock to anybody who's a med surge nurse, but it just wasn't for me. So I kind of just knew like, okay, well, I, I like this area. I like working with the women. I like working with the babies. This is something that I could see myself doing in some capacity. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so that has kind of led you to form the nursenote.com. That's your blog. Tell us about your baby and what it is you do over there. Yes. Yeah, so this is my baby in a labor of love. I kind of discuss all things vaginas is kind of how I, I put it. So I talk about, I try to simplify things about sex, about periods, about um, just your vagina in general. Because what I found just in talking with with individuals on a day-to-day -day basis, like a lot of women don't know about how their body works. Mm -hmm. um, and through my experiences, just working with, you know, younger women in uh, women's health, I just, there was a lot of misconceptions. So I figured let's just start this and see where it takes takes me and I'll be able to put out uh, real information, factual information, scientifically backed information just to help those who really don't know. Right. And where do you think some of those misconceptions often come from? Let's let's say specifically in, in the black community. I think uh, one of the issues is that, um, at least in my experience, like a lot of people get stuff from social media, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, when I worked with a lot of the younger women, there was they were seeing you know different ads and different stories on Facebook sp specifically during that time um, that I would have to correct. And I think the fact that we we as black women, at least in my experience, it may be a little bit different for the younger generation. Like we didn't talk about it a lot with oh, yeah. our, like, th our mothers. That's what I was waiting for you to say, because right, it was right. not talked about in my household either. It wasn't, it wasn't super taboo, but it was just something we didn't talk about. Correct. So, you know, you kind of formulate what you know from your friends and your peers and mm -hmm. what you see on TV. And that kind of makes your reality, which may not be correct. So 
um, I feel like it's my duty to kind of correct some of those errors and just present information that's actually factual so that women get the right information so they can learn about their bodies. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And at what, uh, you know, because we do, when we, when I think back to like schooling, like there's family life and different things of that mm-hmm. nature, but I can imagine it's probably like, like I said, that convo didn't happen in my household, you know, of course, you know, I, I started my cycle and then, you know, the conversation happened about happened around, you know, kind of hygiene and, and what did right. I need to do to kind of maintain it when it came on a monthly basis. Now, what are some of the things, or I guess what I'm asking is like, how can a parent kind of initiate that conversation with their child? It's, I mean, it's hard. I'm a, I'm a parent. My daughter's only six, but I think that these conversations have to start early in a child's life and you have to just normalize it. Like sometimes she just surprises me with her questions Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, she's, she's six and she's going to ask honest and direct questions. And I just try to make my, I answer her as normally as I can. So like, if she's asked me like, the other day she asked me, you know, where do I pee from? So like, I literally took out a mirror. My husband was, right. wasn't like utter shock. He was like, I took a mirror out. I kind of like, okay, let's look and see. This is the wow. hole that you actually pee for. So yeah, I try to normalize it. I make, um, you know, she's sick. So I make all the answers age appropriate for her age, but those are supposed to be like ongoing, continuing, uh, conversations that you have with your kids so that it does become just like a normal conversation is the way I see it. So start young, start early. You make it as factual as you can. If you don't know, you know, you try to lean on some of the, the experts. So, you know, your pediatricians or, you know, if it's an older child, a teen, like, um, uh, maybe a nurse practitioner or a physician who works in adolescent medicine or teen health, if you're uncomfortable having those conversations. But, you know, I, I just really encourage anybody and everybody to just start the conversations with your children early in life. And it shouldn't be a one-time conversation. Just continue to build on those conversations so we can normalize, you know, vaginal health, sexual health and all that stuff. And you use the word normalize so much because that's what it is, right? It's it's so normal. It's it's normal. <laughs> right. It's okay. It's normal. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so and so speaking of normal, on your blog you have an amazing article that you that you a piece that you wrote and it's seven amazing facts about your vagina and you go into detail and it's it's interesting to me because as a 31 year old woman it's like I know some of the things but some of the things I'm like ooh, I wish I knew more about that or what is that so I kind of wanted to dive deep into that because I think as a woman you can never like it's never too late to learn more about your body right it's never too late to kind of you know get to know yourself a little bit better and so you go into seven amazing facts about the vagina and so or or lady bits or girly parts or birth canal (laughs) as you like to call it in the blog and so like you said we google different things we see things on social media and it's often misinformation so let's get down to the nitty-gritty of what is actual factual information and what are actually myths that we sometimes hear about our bodies about what women's bodies just in general. The first thing you have on here is that vagina odor happens. Talk to us about that. It's, it's normal ladies. It's going to happen. And, um, your vagina order is going to kind of fluctuate depending on where you are in your menstrual cycle. So some days, you know, you may find that there's no scent at all. And then, um, days that are, you're close to your period or right after your period, you may find that it smells a little bit more, or after having sex, you may find that it smells a little bit more. Um, but you shouldn't freak out unless it's something that's just, you know, you know, your body. And if you, if it's something just something does not smell right, then that's the time that you should definitely schedule an appointment with your provider and get that checked up, checked and looked at. But, um, 
Yes, vaginal, it's supposed to be a light smell, maybe an earthy smell, some people describe it as, but um, if it's something that's really offensive or if somebody else tells you that they can smell you, then that may be a, a larger issue that you may need to speak to your healthcare provider about. And one thing you cover, I see you you cover some things about leggings and different things, but I wanted to kind of touch on that because, you know, we often go, we often go for the pretty little lacy panties and all this and that. And we, we shun the good old cotton panties. Like they don't have to be granny panties. They're just cotton panties. Like tell us about why it's important for what it is we wear in our undergarments for our vaginal health as well. Right. Um, so materials that are not like, true materials like polyesters and that kind of, they trap, they, they trap moisture, which creates odor. So that's why you'll hear usually like health professionals kind of advocate, like wear your cotton underwear, cause it's a little bit more breathable. Right. Um, you're going to develop a uh, vaginal odor when there is more moisture down there. Cause moisture usually leads to more bacteria, which then leads to an odor. So you want to do stuff to lessen the amount of moisture down there and a lot, the lessen the amount of um, bad bacteria that you have down there. So you don't run into issues like vaginal odor or, or vaginal, more vaginal discharge. You you put a sentence in there that says, fall back on the douches, the sprays, and the cleansers. These can cause more problems than they're worth. I don't know, if, are folks still using that? Because, you know, growing up, I think that was something that was really heavy kind of in the, the 90s and, and 2000s, like the early 2000s. Like that was the <laughs> thing that you kind of saw in your mom's bathroom or your grandma's right. bathroom, that douche. And I never got a chance to experience it because I knew that, you know, once I was of age and, and had my menstrual cycle, like that wasn't the thing to do. Um, right. But tell us why those can be harmful or in the kind of medical community has or the medical field have you seen that has everybody got rid of douches or are people still using those people surprisingly people so there are some people who still use those and I know that um, a lot more like our younger population that I worked with they were using like the sprays and that kind of stuff and the reason why it's bad is because so your vagina has its own natural pH and a normal pH for a vagina is anywhere between like 3.8 to 4.5 on the pH scale so when you're introducing like even waters or something foreign it kind of throws that pH off it makes it higher and so you develop more bad bacteria which then leads to you know infections and odor and discharge so yeah you do not do not introduce anything that's not supposed to be in your in your vagina essentially so discharge you said it's normal and I think it's something that's something that we often don't like to talk about because we automatically assume discharge is something that is horrible or we're dirty or we maybe have a yeast infection or something like that tell us about what is considered normal when it comes to discharge and what may need attention from um, a medical provider So discharge, anything that's like a a light milk, like a white milky or a clear um, egg white consistency, that's considered normal. And your discharge, just like odor, is going to fluctuate throughout the month, depending on where you are in your menstrual cycle. So you may find that um, you have more clear watery discharge around ovulation in the time of the month that you release an egg. Um, It may become a little thicker around when you're actually starting your period. And then like once you're finished your period, you may see that you have like pink discharge and then it disappears for a couple more weeks and then the cycle starts again. So Mm -hmm. if your discharge is kind of a, it's, it's not overpowering. So it doesn't have like a, an offensive smell. If it's just light, a white, uh, creamy color or an, a clear egg white consistency, that's normally considered normal. Um, if your discharge has like a yellowish tint to it or gray tint to it, if it's 
clumpy, thick, if there's a lot, if it's green, that would indicate that you may have an infection and you definitely want to see your healthcare provider about that. Because what you mentioned is that the vagina is like a self-cleaning machine. So you said that there's glands and a small amount of fluid that usually, you know, comes out the different colors that you explained. Um, and so that's good to know because I think oftentimes we have a mis- or it's like or it's like we know that it's, it's self-cleaning because we hear that like it's cleaning itself, it's cleaning itself, but we don't often understand like, no, that's okay. And then that's bad. But I think paying attention, you know, can, can often help with that and wearing our cotton panties or just doing things <laughs> that we, you know, need to do for, for, for a healthy kind of uh, a vagina. Right. So, you know, discharge comes from two areas. One is your cervix. So you might find the discharge coming from your cervix is like a little thicker. And then there's two glands inside, small pea-like glands inside of your vagina. So like during sexual arousal, that's why you see more discharge. So mm-hmm. we would we would hope that, you know, when you're sexually aroused, you have more, you know, fluid in there so that, you know, you're having actually having uh, penetrative sex. It doesn't hurt. Um, but again, there the discharge is going to change throughout your, your cycle. Um, it shouldn't have an offensive smell and it shouldn't, everybody has a normal baseline of discharge. So if you find that you're, you're having more than normal, um, or if it's a different color or it has a very offensive smell, that's the time that you need to go see your healthcare provider. Now, one thing that was interesting to me in, in of these seven kind of um, facts about the vagina is that size matters. So <laughs> then I kind of want to go into, you know, because when we think of like size matters for us, but size matters when it comes to penetrative sex, like sometimes things hurt for a reason, like that right, there's a reason right. things hurt. And so talk to us about the size and kind of what's, what's, you know, considered, I don't know, I don't want to say normal size, but what's the smallest something can be? What's the, what's the largest the tunnel can be? So the vagina is going to be different because, you know, we're all different. So um, the average vagina is probably about three inches long, which is about the size of your MAC lip gloss. But it's, it expands, obviously. It's going to expand when you're having a baby. It's going to expand when you're putting a tampon in. It's going to expand, you know, it, when you're having penetrative sex and um, sexually aroused. Um, but it can range. It can be as small as like two inches and as big as six inches long. And it's just going to it it's going to vary depending on the person, obviously. So my vaginal tunnel may not as be as long as yours, for example, mm-hmm. but, um, it's not to say that, um, one is better than the other. It's just, it's individualized based on you and your genes and, you know, things of that nature. Right. Just like everything else. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so I know we kind of talked a little bit about, um, pH, but is there anything else that we kind of should know when it comes to pH or anything else we should pay attention to a little more? So again, pH, your a normal vaginal pH is going to be between 3.8 and, um, 4.5. So that's the range you want to keep it in. Your vagina is made up of good bacteria and yeast, uh, when you start introducing things like anything that's scented, you know, it could be a, a spray, a douche. Sometimes people are s- sensitive to like soaps that can make your pH higher, which is going to lead to, you know, uh, more discharge, more, more odor. Um, but there are also older, it's usually for older women, but for some women as well, they may not have um, enough 
vaginal fluids and then, you know, their pH is lower, which leads to like infertility issues, which is a whole other story. But you just want to keep your routine simple. So, you know, you get a, a mild smelling soap. You want to use the, the soap to clean the outside. So your labia, essentially, you want to use water to wash off, pat dry. Um, and again, your v- vagina is self-cleaning. So you don't need to do much down with that. And I think that's one of the misconceptions is that we have to be all up in there with the washcloth and soaps (laughs) and and gels and all of that. And it's like, no, warm water will do. Right, (laughs) right. Exactly. Exactly. It's going to clean itself. You don't want to. And some women are more sensitive than others. So, you know, if you're finding that you're having yeast infections all the time or, you know, bacterial vaginosis or something, it could be the products you're using or, you know, just what you're using down there. So don't get all aggressive. It's going to do its own job. So let it do its own job. Right. Now, is there anything else that contributes to our pH balance down there? Because you, you mentioned like, let's say soaps and dyes and different things we wear for our under garments but what about what it is we eat so that's it can like diets that are you know higher in you know sugars or fast foods and that kind of stuff it's one contributor um of vaginal ph but uh, most of the time and what i found in my experience it's the things that we're doing to our vagina that causes the ph problems not to say that diet can't mm-hmm. um, contribute to vaginal ph it's just usually it's more likely that it's you know some either something we're um, putting in there, or it could be, you know, sometimes medications can contribute to vaginal pH, off, putting off your vaginal pH as well. But yeah, um, usually most of the time it's going to be like something ex- external that you're doing to the vagina. And so when it comes to diet, that's more so subjective. It depends from person right, to person. Right, right, right. Number five is I want to feel you. You said, truth be told, only the first two or three inches of your vagina has any feeling. The other two thirds of your vagina is actually less sensitive, which is why you can put a tampon in and essentially forget about it for the rest of the day. Correct. So, you know, if you're having penetrative sex and, you know, somebody's asking you if you can feel it in the back of your throat half the time, you probably can't because, you know, you'll feel the first couple of inches. But after that, it's it's a lot less sensitive. So you may not feel anything, which doesn't it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just kind of what it is so like I, I think what you just did is let everybody that's listening know that sometimes lies are being told correct I don't want to hurt right but feelings, uh but can't feel yeah. it sorry <laughs> it just right. is what it is <laughs> and that's is what what that was something that's new for me so I was I was glad to read and kind of educate myself about that let's talk about sizes and number six is called pumpkin what so not all vaginas are the same one may be a proud owner of conical so talk about talk about the different shapes and everything so there was a study that was done in 2000 and they found that the vaginas actually come in different shapes so they found that 40 percent of african-american women had a pumpkin shaped vagina um, Hispanic women tend to have vaginas that are longer in the back and shorter in the front. Um, and then Caucasian women, they found that their vaginal openings are much larger than those of African-American women. So that's why, you know, one guy may find that, or, you know, if you're having penetrative, penetrative sex in one position and it may not bother you, but you switch over to another position and, you know, you're just like, I can't do this. It's too painful. It's, it's, 
probably related to the, you know, the shape and the size of your vagina. So, um, yeah, it was, that was eye opening to me. Cause I was like, uh, who, who would have known that? Like I wouldn't have now, never how do known we, that. How do we know what, what our shape is? Like, is that something we can determine or is that something our healthcare provider can kind of tell us? They probably, they probably couldn't because, you know, when you look inside, you can't see, I, I have to go back to the study and see how they did it. But looking inside, and I've been on the other end, looking inside a number of vaginas during my career, like they all kind of look the same you know when you're opening when you're on the bed and your legs are spread open and they kind of the tunnel itself looks the same because of the, how the speculum is sitting mm -hmm. so we're just looking at the cervix um i'll have to go, that's a good question i'll have to go back and see exactly how they determine what the size like how they came up with the different shapes and sizes of the vagina right. that's so interesting and now we're gonna have everybody kind of go into go <laughs> when they go <laughs> when they go to get anything done it's just like can you tell me what shape this is please <laughs> Right, right. So interesting. And that's, <laughs> I, I found that to be phenomenal too. So, and it makes sense as to, like you said in the article, as to why some sexual positions, tampons or toys may be comfortable for one woman, but cause pain to another. Makes perfect sense. Lastly, let's yeah. talk about the big O, which is orgasm. And you said that if you're reaching your peak through clitoral stimulation, which is regular on your rotation, you may want to try something new. So Let's let's kind of go through through all of what you talk about kind of in that portion of the seven um, facts. OK, so uh, hopefully most of your know, uh, listeners know what clitoral stimulation. So that's like when you're getting aroused on the outside, actually touching or manipulating mm -hmm. your clitoris. But the study had found that um, if you were able to achieve orgasm through penile vaginal intercourse, so like internally, which is it happens a lot less frequently, then it says that your sexual satisfaction is like through the roof, essentially. It's better for your mental health, your relationships, everything. So um, it does take a little trial and effort. <laughs> and if you're up to up to it and then your partner's up to it, you guys can figure out how to get that um, the big O via penile penetration. That's going to make everybody in the relationship happier is what, the study, what the study says. That's what the study says, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but but most people that it's you like you said it's a little more difficult it's a little more difficult so if you're in it for the long haul and i'm sure your partner will be game as well you know y'all figure out how to how to do it and you know everybody will be right, happy right <laughs> exactly are there any places um for information that folks should be looking to about reproductive health so the sites that i normally use are the ones you know that are factually based so um cdc the center for disease control is a very good one um, I also use um, Planned Parenthood also has a lot of great information about reproductive and sexual health. And then there's another one that I use. Um, there's Hello Clue has one as well that are that's pretty good that has really good sexual health information. And of course, your blog. Of course. Oh, my goodness. Of course, <laughs> my blog. So the nursenote.com. Um, also has great information on there. I'm trying to be more consistent with blogging. I have great um, info and articles just about a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And if you follow me on the social medias, I tend to post a lot of, uh, I think, are um, worthy um, posts just about sexual health and how to improve vaginal health and your reproductive health and how to manage your periods and things of that nature. Is there any like one question that you feel like you get most often? I get a lot of questions more recently I, off the top of my head. I get a lot of questions about like um, menstrual cups, period cups and how to use them and which one's the best one and how do I get it in and how do I take it out? And I think it's just because I've done a, a recently I've done a lot of posts about uh, menstrual cups and I've like told people that I 
basically use menstrual cups um, all the time now instead of using tampons and periods and they can't believe it. They're like, okay, how does this work? And is it gross? And how do I do it? And which one do I use? So I get a lot of questions about that. And I have had a, a couple questions recently just about um, bacterial vaginosis and kind of figuring out if I have, whether or not the person has bacterial vaginosis and how do I know and what should I do and things of that nature. I haven't yet tried the menstrual cup yet. I think I'm kind of a little shook. Like all the questions that you just said that you get. Yeah, those are my questions too. I definitely want to. Um, I think I will venture over into that lane soon. But um, reading, yeah, yeah. And then reading what everything you put about it makes it a lot more comfortable. So I definitely, definitely want to give that a try. When you you have time and you're not rushed and that kind of stuff. You know what? That's a good idea. You're so right. I didn't even think about it like that because I can just what came in my head is like, Oh my gosh, what if I'm here? What if I'm there? And then I need to do this and do that. And then this just goes everywhere. And that's literally like, I'm just, all I think about is, Oh my gosh, I'm about to be so embarrassed because I'm going to do something. I'm a little clumsy. So I might drop it. Like that's, you're right. We're in the house anyway. So this is the perfect time to kind of try some things, right? Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Is there anything else, let's say during our menstrual cycle that um, is beneficial for, for our listeners to know? So, you have to listen to your body. And I've kind of learned this through trial and error in life. Like listen to your body. If you feel like resting, then, you know, rest. If you feel like you can run a five miler, go ahead and do it. Um, um, whatever, what use products that uh, I usually gen- generally recommend using products that um, are more natural. So I'm not opposed to pads or tampons. Um, you use what's best for you. I'm not a, like a menstrual cup snob right. or anything like that. Use the products that are best for you. Um, take it easy. If you have cramps, I always recommend using like hot water bottle heaters. Really good. Um, resting is good. I found for my cramps, exercising is actually really good for helping with cramps. Mm-hmm. And I guess, cause I don't get cramps that often. It really helps. Um, and just be, be kind and gentle to yourself during that period. And you, you mentioned cramps. So I've never experienced cramps a day my life neither has my mom oh my goodness um so yeah my mom and I we do not get cramps but I will say I think I I don't want to say pay for it in other ways but other things (laughs) but other things are more affected like my mood oh my Uh, goodness it is very I'm very much Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde um and I can I can tell you know during that time is there anything that's kind of I don't know if holistic in nature or or anything that you're aware of that can kind of help with with the PMS, because mood is a part of that PMS. Even though I don't get cramps, I do get the other symptoms. Yes, like diet plays a big oh, role. And I, I want to like say that I oh read something that <laughs> I think maybe incre- increasing like calcium and I want to say vitamin E, but I'll have to double check on that. Kind of helps with, you know, mood. Mm-hmm. I'm, exor- I'm always going to vouch for exercise because that like your endorphins, after you exercise, your endorphins are right. high and you just feel better in general. Um, so those are my, my two big things that I would recommend. And if you don't want to go out and run a a 13 miler, you know, people usually engage in like yoga, yoga positions and practices. I'm not a yogi, as you can tell by my language that I'm using, but (laughs) that seems to help a lot of, (laughs) (laughs) that seems to help a lot of people as well. Just, you know, just try to eat a better diet. So they always, you know, the whole grains, the vegetables, the fruits, try to stay away from everything that you want, like the salt and the the sweets and (laughs) everything like that, that that kind of um, helps with diet, uh, helps with the, um, 
your diet as well as um, your mood. Excellent. Thank you for that. And so lastly, let, let's talk about let's talk about WAP and all of the attention surrounding WAP and kind of all of the information we've seen on social media, different things we've read. What are OK? Have you seen things that you are like, OK, that's not true. What are people talking about? <laughs> so the the parts I'm, I'm old so I'm gonna date myself so I had to literally go and google I'm like okay let me go see what the the actual lyrics mm-hmm. are so the part that sticks out to me is the one that like making it hit the dangly thing at the back of the throat that part sticks out to me not to say that you know people can have rough sex and if you're into mm-hmm. that kudos to right. you is it really going to happen? No. Should it be painful? I would hope not, unless that's something you're into. That's not, you know, my, for mm-hmm. me. Um, but having a lot of vaginal fluid, it's, it's possible. Like it's possible. So the thing about having too much vaginal fluid, it's like, you have to know what your normal is, obviously. And then if you have too much, it could be a sign. I was just, the only thing I could think of was like, it could be a sign that you may have an infection right. is what <laughs> I was thinking. <laughs> Okay, we're on the same page because that's what I was thinking too. Like, mm-hmm, yes, I get it, but and it could mean something right. else too. Like, right? <laughs> okay, like you could totally have some sort of infection down there. That's that's that was my thought. Like, mm, you might need to get that checked out. Right. Not to say, and some women, you know, they just produce a, naturally when they're sexually aroused, they just produce a lot more vaginal fluid, so they know what their normal is. But if you're not one of those women, then all of a sudden one day you just have copious amounts of vaginal fluid and I'm going to tell you to you might want to schedule an appointment with your doctor because that's not normal and is that vaginal fluid that's gonna is that gonna be a different texture a different you know thickness opacity all that it may it may so like if you have like for example bacterial vaginosis is more one of the most common um, infections which is it's not a sexually transmitted infection but it's it's basically based on vaginal ph Mm -hmm. so women may find that uh they have more it could be white because, so, you know, some women come in, it could be white and they think it, they're thinking it's like a yeast infection. It's actually bacterial vaginosis. It could be a gray color. It could be thick and clumpy and it, it's going to have an odor. So bacterial vaginosis most times is going to have like a fishy odor. So if that's the case, um, you you probably need to go get seen. You know, if it starts to get into the different colors, like the yellows and the greens and it's thick and it's, you know, clumpy. So I'm thinking an, an STI infection. So again, you'll have to go see your provider and get that checked right. out and then also when it when it came to the song and just different things I was thinking about it and and listening in facts and myths um <laughs> when it comes to the vagina lubricating itself if it doesn't lubricate dripping wet that doesn't mean anything's wrong with you or sometimes we it may not lubricate itself because of just what's going on with our bodies right Right, right. It could be a number of things. It could be like you're just not sexually stimulated yet. Like (laughs) that's number one. Right, exactly. Right. (laughs) So that could be one thing. It could be, you know, there's a lot of things that could affect your vaginal fluid. So it could be like you're taking medications that like allergy medications or cold medications, which have contained um, ingredients that may make your vaginal, your vagina a lot drier. It could be that you're going through a period of a lot of stress, like we're all in COVID pandemic jobs, everything like that. Mm -hmm. So you just may have not be, you might not get sexually stimulated or aroused as quickly. Um, 
it could, you could have just had a baby. So, you know, when you have a baby after the time, your hormones are all over the place. So that's, you're less likely to have a lot of vaginal fluid. If you're breastfeeding again, that's another reason that you may not have a lot of vaginal fluid. You may not be dripping wet. And for older women, like I'm heading in that direction. So having less estrogen in your body, um, over time, you know, when you reach, uh, perimenopausal and menopause, um, you have less estrogen, so which means you're going to more, more than likely to have um, less vaginal fluid. So you're going to be less sexually aroused and there's less to be dripping, I guess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right exactly. Exactly. And yeah, so I just I, I wanted to get kind of get some of that out because I can only imagine, you know, all of our bodies are different and, and the, the makeup, right. the anatomy of our body is so different. And so many factors, you know, um, external factors, internal factors kind of play a role in how our body responds to, to stimuli or just in general. And so, right. you know, I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I hope nobody's listening to this and, you know, thinking that something's think wrong or, or we think about um, the women that are in menopause or that are heading towards that way. And it's just like, look, our body, look, the body just doesn't do that anymore. And right, right. It is what it is. So here's right. So here's the thing, like the amount of fluid you uh, create is it's dependent on you. Um, you should create enough where it's not hurting when you're being penetrated. I, I guess to put it like mm. that, like it shouldn't, it doesn't have to be dripping all over your bed, but it shouldn't hurt when something is inserted inside of you. That's how you know you have enough. Are there any other um, just random facts and myths that are floating around in your mind that you think the folks should know? Diet can play a role. I know I get that question. I, that should have been what I get. I get a lot. Like, can my diet help? And yeah, you know, estrogen is the, is the, um, the hormone that kind of you need to create, um, vaginal fluid. So eating a diet that has more estrogen like properties. So like soy, and you don't want to go crazy with soy and nuts and vitamin E that's going to help with, you know, creating more vaginal fluid if, if you need that. Well, you all have heard it first from, uh, the nurse, no, Ms. Janelle, the expert herself. <laughs> <laughs> And so we thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast. Um, is there any final thoughts that you'd like to say to everyone? Don't make your vagina and vaginal health more complicated than it needs to be. The things that your your moms or your grandma taught you, for the most part, in terms of like cleaning and hygiene, that's probably good enough. Don't fall into the hype of, you know, what these celebrities are telling you about WAP and this and that, because, I mean, it's they're singing a song and it's, they're probably not ascribing to any of these things. So, um, just keep it simple. Your normal is your normal and try not, don't compare to anybody else. Cause you know, what's happening to you is may not be the normal for somebody else. And if anyone has any questions or wants to look at your blog or your Instagram, how can folks find you? Yeah, you can certainly find me on Instagram and Facebook. I'm my handle is the nurse note. And if you guys want to take a look at all of my wonderful articles, you can find me on my blog at thenursenote.com. Thank you so much again, Janelle. I really appreciate all your expertise and education that you've lent to us today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you sharing your platform with me. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Fem Focus Podcast. On your way out, remember that you are worthy, you are powerful beyond measure, and that your fears can't go where you're headed. Until next time, stay focused, Fems.